Many students may start graduate school with a vague idea about areas they would like to study, or perhaps a few general research questions. Join us, the Clemson University Informed Student Chapter, each Tuesday and Friday, as our host Muwan Sidik interviews different operations research faculty across campus to talk about research in graduate school. Today I'll be speaking with Dr. Bill Farrell. Dr. Farrell is a professor here in the Department of Industrial Engineering at Clemson University. He is also the Associate Dean of the Graduate School. He got his Bachelor in Physics from Wake Forest University and his MSc from Virginia Tech in Nuclear Science and Engineering and his PhD in Operations Research from NC State University. His research area focuses on supply chain, logistics, and system design and analysis, warehouse operations, modeling. Um, he has several professional affiliations. He has several published scientific papers, and um, he is also currently and previously in the editorial board of several journals. I don't want to keep going because the list is, is quite long and eventful, but without further ado, I give to you, Dr. Bill Farrell. Hi, Dr. Farrell. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. My apologies. My battery on my phone went low, so that's why you lost my picture there. No but, worries. Uh, I'm, do I'm doing well. Now I'm plugged in, so maybe we won't have the other glitches. Yes, sir. <laughs> Good. We, we do expect technical difficulties when, when for these things, so, um, so that's okay. Um, so how is your semester, the start of the semester is going? How's everything going for you so far? It's, uh, it's, it's interesting, it's a challenge. I've been teaching online for a, a long time um, because I thought years and years ago, it seemed like to me it was a, a good opportunity to, to, to provide some uh, um, information to people who couldn't be on campus. But uh, trying to think through how you teach in a, a large classroom for half the students and the other half being remote has, um, a, I've, but I've been to two classes now, two days, four classes, and I've tried different combinations of technology each time, trying to figure out not, I mean, just teaching all remote is not too hard, mm -hmm. but trying to figure out kind of how you would have live, live people and folks on Zoom and everybody being able to stay connected. Um, it's kind of, actually it's kind of fun. But uh, I think when we all become in a hybrid mode, it's going to get a little uh, a little more exciting uh, rather than just visualizing how to do this. Yeah, I think probably the issue now that everyone is uh, is on Zoom and using the sort of the same modality to give lectures is, is making it a little bit difficult in terms of the um, the traffic on the network. But um, yeah. So the, as you know, we're, our goal is to sort of um, give introduction to research from people who are thinking about the prospect of doing research, whether they're currently in undergrads or they're you know, master's students or just starting their PhD program. So maybe we'll start by sort of talking about research in general, and then we'll sort of delve deeper into your, your specific mm -hmm. research interest and so on and so forth. Well, let, let, me, uh, let me answer 
kind of a, 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 an ancillary question. And I think that somewhere along the line here, you will love, you'll see where I'm going with this. Um, my background, as you absolutely correctly noted, um, was in physics and nuclear engineering and then operations research. I think the important part of that was after I got my physics degree, I went out into industry. And, and physics is a, is a very pure science. And at Wake Forest, it was the purest of the pure sciences. sciences. But I had a, a faculty member that I worked with my senior year who had, uh, it was a, a Dutch faculty member who had worked for Philips in industry for years. So I actually did a senior project for a year that was uh, interesting. It was, it was uh, experimental, but, but it was, it was pure physics leaning towards applications. So um, that kind of started things. I went to work in the commercial nuclear industry. And by commercial, I mean power plants that generate electricity, not the bomb side. And, and during that time, I, I got my master's in nuclear engineering. So, so I worked for seven years. I tell you that because um, in operations research, we have everybody from, from very methodological and theoretical people all the way down to practitioners. And, and what I do is much closer to the practitioners than the methodological people. So I, I, I view engineering as, I mean, I view myself as an engineer. And the way I, what I view engineers that I, I, my, my opinion on what an engineer does is we design things. Now I've clued together a definition of what an industrial engineer does. And when I'll tell people, when they ask me what I do, I design systems and processes that improve organized effort. So everything I do is focused on the design side where I use operations research is not for the pure math or the pure methodological side of it. I use operations research as ways to design things better. So, so my view on research is just for me, not for everybody else, but for me is I have to have in my mind a very real practical problem in order to get excited. So you tell me that we need to design a warehouse better, or you tell me that with the growth of e-commerce that we are, we're having real problem in cities because urbanization is making cities really congested and we've got to deliver packages. That gets me excited because it's a real problem. It, it, you, you can't solve that using common sense. It requires large sophisticated models that operation research provide us the tools to do but after I do that, then it gives me an opportunity to synthesize those results back into something that can be implemented and applied and make things better. We can reduce congestion. We can reduce carbon footprint. I can reduce the number of empty miles of trailer travels so that I reduce costs for the company and I reduce the amount of pollution that the truck is putting into the air to deliver nothing. So to me, research, for me, I've always gotten excited by research that is driven by a real practical problem. And then I really enjoy when I can take that and synthesize the results into something that can be implemented. That's actually exciting because I think you're probably the first interview that we're doing where someone who's sort of um, heavily driven by application sort of type of research. But before I sort of get deeper into that, um, um, so for someone who's, let's say, undecided and starting to do this research thing, should I have this sort of as a 
predetermined as a priority when I'm going to this is like this is I'm going to be doing um, application based research or I'm just going to be doing methodology based based research or I can do a hybrid of both is that something that has to be decided as a priority or something that I sort of figure out as I go along I, I, I think that if you're going to be doing methodological I mean if if I, I don't think it's it's incredibly important, but it's reasonably important in the sense that um, I could not help a student who wants to do methodological research. That, that's, that's not what I've been doing for 30 years. Hmm. Um, I, I don't know, but my intuition is that someone who has been doing methodological research for 30 years would probably not be the best advisor for somebody who is interested in more of the application side. So in a sense, you don't have to know for sure what you're going to do. But if you really are drawn to the beauty of the mathematics, then you probably don't want to work with me or you don't want to work with me. And you and I would discuss that. Um, if you're really drawn to wanting to have an application, my guess is person like me who's very methodological would talk to you and say just not a good fit think you're a great think you're a great young man but but you want to find somebody in your advisor that has a has has strengths that they can help you utilize your skills your passion in order to to develop research that's that's of interest so you don't have to know exactly but I think you have to have some notion of which way you're leaning, um, because that, that if you're going to go to kind of one extreme, you need to find the right advisor. Yeah, it makes absolute sense. Yeah. Um, so I know I slightly touched upon this earlier, which is sort of your specific area of research, the supply chain logistics, which I guess we've been maybe discussing for the past few minutes, that application driven sort of research. Um, so suppose that I don't know anything about anything and I'm sort of uh, wanting to learn about your research. So maybe you can explain to me um, what that research is and you know, what are the methodologies or what is, how does, is it fit within the context of operations research? Yeah, we, uh, and, and uh, yeah, of course. Um, the way, the best way to think about what I do for a living is think about what you have done in the last two weeks. And that is, you likely bought something. Mm. Um, I, I would say the last two days, but I'll go to it. And, and my guess is, since we're we're sitting here kind of strapped to our, our uh, computers at home, my guess is you bought something online. Mm -hmm. And so if you bought something online, then you know what I do for a living. If you, if you marry that up with what's happening in our world today, hmm. then you know what I do for a living. Because some things you buy online are sourced in Asia and have to make it to your door. And so um, your door in Clemson or Greenville, where I live. And so all the processes there, um, all of the systems that are put in place are that, that require efficiency and effectiveness in order to maximize profit and minimize pollution and are safe 
are the kinds of things that I that I design. So, and the things that I work on. So, for example, I had a student several years back. One of the the more methodological things that we did, um, and and for me, just so you know, my idea of a more a more methodological journal is EJOR. So this was a this was a, a publication out there, and this was a problem where that that we saw where um, uh, you had to deliver perishable products, and so the question was if you got a, a a facility that makes a product that's perishable, and you've got customers scattered across a 2D plane, how many trucks do you need, and what are their routes in order to meet all the demands? have the product not perish and be back home at the end of the night. Well, it's kind of a vehicle routing problem, but it's not really. And so it became a, a very large mixed energy programming problem that then we could develop some upper bounds and lower bounds and come up with some heuristics and solve it for small examples exactly. And we showed that our heuristic was really, really, really good compared to the exact solutions. And then we could take those heuristics and solve much bigger and more realistic problems. And it so happens that young man was given the presentation at an at a IIE uh, annual at the IISE annual conference, and somebody from McDonald's saw it and said, "We've got that problem, and we've contracted with this consulting company to help." And all of a sudden, the young man got the job because the problem they were looking at was so close that all the stuff he had been working on for two years, he could just take and, and use into a more practical um, application. Now that's an extreme example of how this thing works, but that's what I do for a living. If, if, you, if, you, go, if you read the newspapers and see as fast as e-commerce is growing, that it is still only about 10 or 15% of retail. And you say to yourself, oh my God, I see trucks going all over the place and I, well, how in the world would they do that now? And if it doubles or triples in the next five or six years, how are we gonna do that? That's what I do. Those are big, huge math models. They're sophisticated math models. Some of them we can solve with Garobi getting a lot, a lot faster and a lot better. We can solve some of them exactly, but still a day's worth of Amazon packages can't be solved exactly. So mm. there are, uh, I've got a young man right now that's working on a, a problem that as it scales up, his is more on how you use intermodal terminals to move freight. And as we scale this thing up, um, it, it's going to blow up because the problem's NP hard. And he's looking at some some kind of creative ways to use vendors decomposition, you know, decomposition in order to solve the problem. Hmm. And, and the challenge back to him is, yes, he enjoys doing that kind of stuff, but once he gets the answer, I want to know, what does it mean? Yeah. <laughs> where, 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 where do we put the intermodal? I mean, yes, we got to do this. We got to do it right. We've got to show that we're absolutely right. But do I put an intermodal terminal in Florence and Greenville or do I put one in Columbia? Mm. It has to make sense as well. Yeah, I completely agree. So do you work with a specific type of industry, for example, the food industry, the healthcare industry, or is it you know pretty open to everything? Very, very open. I work. I work for whoever has the money. Yeah. So most factory members do, and 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 it's interesting because sometimes we have cut. We have companies like the BMWs of the world that will that will fund every search or Delta Airlines. Um, sometimes they are like. Um, I've got a proposal out, outstanding right now to the South Carolina Research Association. That's uh, so. So there are government organizations that fund research into this kind of stuff. A few years back. Um, uh, Clemson was a research site of a National Science Foundation Center for um, Excellence in uh, Logistics. It was a National Science Foundation Industry University Cooperative Research Center. 
and it was the Center for Excellence in Logistics and Distribution. Clemson was a research site, and we had uh, several organizations that, that the premise of that was NSF gives you some money, and companies also buy memberships. And then you do industry practical related in, in, uh, uh, research. And so Clemson was one of the uh, participants in that. So we had lots of different kinds of people there that we got money from the industries for projects and money from NSF. It so happened Dr. Mason was working at Arkansas and Arkansas was the lead institution of that NSF center. And so uh, that's how I got to meet Scott for the first time was through Seldy. So um, that's a long answer to your question, but it's companies and it's also um, national uh, like NSF and it's also state organizations that fund this kind of research because uh, the logistics industry is, is like 15 or 18% of the gross domestic product of the United States. Employees like, you know, 20% of the people are employed in something related to, the, to uh, um, logistics and distribution. So it's an important part of our economy, hence uh, people want to fund it, companies want to fund it because it can give them a competitive advantage. Yeah, so maybe um, just to, just for the interest of the time, um, last few things that I want to sort of cover, which is mm-hmm. from the perspective of a student, um, is there are any skills that you think a student should have when going into this? Yeah, the, the, uh, the, the big skill that I have that I think students should have is learning how to model that that's the that to me is is the hard part because it's really hard to teach you can only learn it by trial and error and practice so Mm -hmm. modeling is the big thing the skill that I don't have that that if I were getting a PhD right now I would absolutely make sure I had and even as an old guy I'm trying to learn is coding because if if you don't have the ability to code in Python and you don't have, you know, if you don't have those skills, it's going to be really hard to use the data that's out there and tease out the information you need in order to drive these models. But I, I personally happen to think that the modeling skill is incredibly important. I, I, I'm not yet willing to give up this idea that that people in computer science can just or people with mad coding skills can solve the problems that I do because I think that looking at the data interpreting the data doing the data analytics doing the model is as important as having the hard coding skills in order to get the information out so that's what that's what my students tend to do and every single one of them that have graduated in the last 10 years are better coders than I, I am that's why I hire them because they're better coders. I can help them a little bit with the model part. That that's part of it. And then one of the the I think probably uh, maybe it's unique, maybe it's not. But uh, my advisor, when I first talked to him before he was my advisor, uh, I, I still remember him saying he was a a, a really neat little, uh, short Egyptian guy. And he said uh, when people when students come in, I wish I could do his accent, but he would say when students come in, they ask me. Professor, I want a research topic that is interesting and will make me rich and famous. And what I tell them is, if there, if I knew of one, I would do it myself. And, I, and you know, he, he was right. So, so one of the things that happens is that that I do that I've noticed is maybe a bit different is um, I, I don't tell students what to do. 
I, I want students to explore. My, I do what was done to me. My advisor let me explore stuff and my dissertation was really mine. Mm-hmm. Um, when I left NC State, um, I never published another paper with my advisor. Talked to him mm-hmm. regularly, but, but I had all these ideas that I wanted to explore on my own. So I realized looking back, he not only let me explore things on my own, which was the way he, he, the way he encouraged and fostered PhD students. But what that did was I was ready to go by myself mm-hmm. when I came to Clemson. Um, and and I, I don't think that that's right. I think there are other models where the faculty member and the students work together for most of their careers. And I've always been really envious. A really good friend of mine at NC State worked with his advisor his whole career until his advisor uh, retired. And I, and I was very jealous of that in one way, but, but you know, I can't, I have to be who I am. So my PhD students, if you talk to them, and, and you certainly can, um, I'll, I'll listen to them and I'll give them some ideas but, but boy, they, they aren't an extension of me in any way, shape or form. They're off running off doing stuff. And my, I know my advisor was thrilled when I was doing stuff he didn't know how to do. And uh, he would tell me, and, 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 and I feel the same way. And so that's, if, if that's what the students that have done best with me and I think enjoyed working with me were ones that wanted that experience. They wanted the experience of failing on their own and, you know, telling me they failed and that was okay. And and so that when they got out, they would be publishing. Now I've published with some of my former students, but it's always after a few years. They have their feet on the ground and then they call me up and say, I got this great idea. You want to you want to work with me. So mm-hmm. that's probably the, the biggest difference with the way I talk to PhD and work with PhD students and maybe how others do. Well, I think we're getting to the, to the end of our time here, but thank you so much for your time. And, uh, and I wish you all the best of luck for this uh, semester that uh, we have ahead of us. Thanks so much. This was a lot of fun. Good luck and yeah. uh, st- stay safe there and learn a lot. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Take care.